Thank you so much to all of our worship leaders this morning. What a great message. Too quickly we lose our trust in the Lord alone and we trust in so many other things. And so we want to make sure that we hear from the Lord and look to His Word to guide us. So take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to the Old Testament in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 2. And uh, don't know what page number that is in your Bible, but it's towards the beginning. Uh, so if you will go back uh, to the book of Judges, and let's turn to chapter 2. This is a final sermon in a series that uh, has challenged me personally and get, again and reminds me of, of uh, my role as a husband and as a father, as a family member in a church family. And as an encourager to you, how important it is, family. And whether you're a single adult or maybe you're a guest, we want you to feel like family here. And literally, if you're a follower of Christ, the Bible says that you're a brother and sister in the Lord. That's a beautiful term, isn't it? You are a brother or sister in the Lord, and we welcome you. And we want you to feel a part of this family because family, family matters. And we're going to see it in this passage uh, in a very powerful way, because one of, one of the things I wanted to end with is in our child rearing and in our parenting and as a church and all that we do, one of the fundamental driving purposes of our heart beyond our ultimate worship and obedience to God, what, what we really must make sure stays front and center is reaching the next generation. We cannot allow our faith and, and that we receive from the Lord, we receive from Scripture, we can't allow that not to be passed down to the coming generations. And God didn't invent another way to do it. He said, you have children and you have people in your church and you gather around the coming generation and you transfer the truth to them. And so we think a lot about that as your pastoral staff and team and and I know you think a lot about that. How do we reach the coming generations? And it's not easy. Because, listen, uh, we, we complain a lot about the culture, in particular me, and the culture sets off all sorts of obstacles to having that kind of transmission of truth happen. But in addition to that, we've got spiritual enemies. We've got Satan and his forces. We've got just the weaknesses of our flesh and the temptations of the world. We have money and sex and power and all these kind of things that just draw our hearts and destroy our lives and our families. And there are all sorts of enemies, spiritual enemies in the land that we must battle. But I read an article the other day that fascinated me because there, there, there are construction companies that are now designing homes for the dysfunctional family. Now listen to this. The Ledbetter family likes to spend time at home together, just not in the same room. So they built a 3,600-square-foot house with special rooms for studying and sewing, separate sitting areas for each kid. They have two children. Evidently, that's a crowd. And a master bedroom far from both. Then there's the escape room. How many of you have that in your house, an escape room? I can think of some. Where Mr. Ledbetter, what Ledbetter says, any family member can go to get away from the rest of us. The Mercer Island, Washington industrial designer says his 7- and 11-year-old daughters fight less because their new house gives them so many ways to avoid each other. It doesn't make sense, he says, for us to do things together all the time. 
After two decades of pushing the open door and where domestic life revolved around big central space and exposed kitchens gave everyone of half a house, major builders and top architects are walling people off. They're touting one-person internet alcoves, locked door away rooms, and his and her offices on opposite ends of the house. The new floor plans offer so much seclusion that the, uh, the designer of these homes says they're, quote, good for the dysfunctional family. And so we're now designing physical spaces to accommodate our dysfunction. And sometimes we do that uh, in a physical way. And I, I think there ought to be some offices, and I know there's time. You need, you need your space and all those kind of things, but we need to be very careful. Because we're not only letting us, ourselves be physically separated from the coming generations, electronically, physically, and in every, every kind of way, we have a spiritual enemy that's far more interested in these builders who want to make money. He's, they're far more interested, these spiritual enemies... And the world system wants to separate us from the coming generations for one primary purpose. The same purpose that Satan had in the Garden of Eden. To bring a division between Adam and Eve and God. To bring a division, build a wall between Adam and Eve. To bring a division, build a wall between Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. To bring a division and divide Cain and Abel with a wall. And here goes Cain and he lives out in this land. And Seth, the, the son of the sea, over there is a spiritual plan to divide us, to create a dysfunction in our families. And it's not just to make us miserable. It is literally our spiritual purposes in mind. It is so that that pure faith that Adam and Eve had with God, that pure uh, relationship with God would, would not filter down properly, would not filter down and be transferred to the coming generations. If you look at Genesis, just six chapters, six chapters in the history in Genesis chapter 6, it says in verse 5 that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so we know these spiritual dividing walls are being constructed to break apart those horizontal relationships that God wants us to, to have and to use and to, and, and to funnel truth. So we, we know God vertically and he says, I want you to transfer this relationship horizontally to your spouses and to your children and grandchildren and into society. And the enemy says, no, 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 I'm designing a whole dysfunctional home plan for you and it is going to divide the generations up and it's going to make sure there's a wall between you and them. Now, let me just tell you this. Is the spiritual enemy going away anytime soon? Well, until Jesus comes back, we're going to face this challenge. We're going to face these battles. We're going to face the continual operation of the world, of our own flesh and the devil, to bring about these barriers and dividing walls. And what we have to do is we have to fight that. We've got to battle that. And God has absolutely given us the power. And not only has He given us His Holy Spirit to empower it, He says... Don't listen to the dysfunctional game plan, home plan. I've given you a divine home plan right here in Scripture. So he says, I've given you the tools, but you're going to have to wage the battle. Now, how does that bring us to Judges chapter 2? Well, God had delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. You remember Israel? started with Abraham, who I preached about last Sunday. Abraham, these great people came out of Abraham. They were enslaved in Egypt. 
And God says, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to give you my law. I'm going to give you a divine game plan for society and for the home. And I'm going to send you into a promised land. I've given it to you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to help you defeat your enemies and battle your enemies. And you're going to establish life there. And if you follow my divine plan, the world's going to be able to see what life is like when people live under the rule of God. And so he, he releases this wonder, these people out of Egypt, but they wander in the wilderness. They battle their flesh. Temptation, they keep wanting to go back, all sorts of things. Then Moses dies, and then a guy named Joshua takes over. Joshua says, all right, let's cross the river. We're going to go into the promised land, and and God says he's going to deliver us from the evil. And they do in the book of Joshua. It's a great story. And they go into the land, and they defeat a lot of the enemies, and they say, all right, so everybody, every tribe has been allotted a different place. And so you go out, and you take your allotted inheritance. But when you do, when you do, God has asked you to do one primary thing. When you go into this promised land, and that promised land for me is kind of, for us, is equivalent to the Christian life. See, I was delivered from Egypt. Spiritual death. Jesus was my deliverer, not Moses. And he's put his law in my heart and given me his Bible. And he's delivered me and he's given me his Holy Spirit. And he says... Chauncey, I've, I've put you into a promised land, and it doesn't matter where you live on earth, but I've given you my spirit and my power. You move out into that, and you obey me and trust me. But you're going to have to do this. You, Chauncey, and you, the land of Israel, and you different tribes that go out, when you go there, you're going to have to battle the enemy. I'll empower you to do it, but you're going to have to confront it You cannot go into this land and you can't go into the Christian life and avoid conflict. How many of you are conflictable? Just raise your hand. Join the club. See, most of you weren't sure whether to avoid, you weren't sure whether to raise your hand or not. I'm going to start conflict. A lot of people head right into conflict. Some people don't like conflict and and we just love to be comfortable. But I'm telling you, while we're in between, already but not yet, in between, we've got to continually face the enemy and fight the enemy and battle the enemy. One of the reasons that we lose generations and we lose the battle for our generations is we stop battling. We stop fighting. Let me show you what happened. That's a long intro just for a short sermon. So Joshua chapter 2 verse 6. Or this is Judges 2. They've entered into the land, they've been there a while, Joshua dies. And in verse 6 it says, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went to each inheritance to take possession of the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Verse 7, And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord he had done. So as long as Joshua was around, and the elders who had come into the land were Joshua, but as time went on, as the generations came, as a couple of generations went by, Uh, The folks that had seen it firsthand began dying off. Joshua died, verse 8. They buried him, verse 9. But look at verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. The, The generation that outlasted Joshua. They all died, gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done. 
And as we go on to read this passage of Scripture, it says these things. It says, they forgot what the Lord had done. How did they forget? Someone forgot to remind them. Someone quit telling them. Someone stopped being persevering to tell the story and share the story. Someone forgot to pass it along. Then in verse 11, they forsook what the Lord had commanded. They abandoned a relationship with God. The word abandoned is used over and over. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, served the Baals, the false gods. How did they get into Baal worship? How could they do that? And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were where? Around them. The gods of the people were around them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and God's anger was kindled against them. They faced the discipline of God as we see in this passage of Scripture because they stopped driving out their enemies. Now, we don't have to drive out Canaanites physically. That's not our job. We live where we live. We're not in the land of Israel anymore. Our job is to battle spiritual enemies. And we must drive out the spiritual Canaanites in our own hearts, in our own lives. Because here's the principle you need to know. You probably already know it, but I've got to remind you. I needed the reminder. Listen, the sin or the sins that we fail to conquer in our lives will eventually conquer us. God's given us power to deliver us from sin from a world system that wants to dominate our hearts and our minds. He has given us the power and the divine blueprint. But if we stop short of continuing to battle that and drive that and, and confess that and make sure we tear down the walls that the enemy tries to build, if we stop doing that, eventually we'll find ourselves like the children of Israel. Sold into slavery to the very people God had given them the ability to drive out. Back in Judges verse 1, chapter 1 verse 28, it says Israel grew strong and they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. Did not drive them out completely. But here's here's the interesting thing. God said, I, I will go before you. If you'll trust me, even if you're outnumbered, you trust me. If you will engage the battle, I'll drive out your enemies for you. So evidently, at some point, they, they, they grew at ease. They said, we're just not going to do it. They became comfortable with sin in their life. Comfortable not transferring the truth to the coming generations. And the coming generations eventually served Baal and Ashtaroth and all the false gods of their land. But I want you to see something. Look at chapter 1. Because in chapter 1, I think we see how we reach the coming generations. You say, that's an interesting place to find this. But this jumped all over me. When they were successful battling the enemy, I want you to see how they were successful. In Judges chapter 1, before chapter 2, where they, 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 they struggle, chapter 1 gives some of the history of the battles. And look at chapter 1, verse 1. Watch this. 
After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up for us uh, against the Canaanites? The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, all of those different ites. He says, Who shall go up against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, And don't you love this? Judah's just standing around with the rest of the tribes. And, and uh, all right, Judah, you're first. Are you sure? Yeah, Judah, you shall go up first. Behold, I have given the land into his hands. So Judah, thinking, all right, so we got to go first. But Judah is brilliant. Judah had, had a great idea. Look what he did. I would have done this with my brother Jeff. I looked, said, Jeff, here. I got to go up and battle the Canaanites. If you'll go up and help me, if you'll join forces with me, Simeon, if you'll go join forces with me and help me fight against the Canaanites, then I'll help you. Doesn't that sound like a great idea? Let's join forces. Uh, the two of us working together is more powerful than just one of us going alone. And I thought, Lord, that is so true. That's really the philosophy of our, of our next generation ministry. There are two incredible forces that must fight this battle together to reach the coming generations. Two incredible forces. The home and the church. We must fight together. We must face these challenges together. If you say, all right, I'm just going to hand my kids off to the church, or I'm just going to count on the church to fix all of the, the problems in culture and reach the coming generations, we will fail. And if the church thinks it can do it, do, its, do it on its own without the home, it will fail. And if the home says, oh, we don't need the church, we'll just make church kind of an annual habit or an annual venture. We'll go every so often and we'll, 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 we'll have kind of a token nod to church and, and we don't want to really get involved and we don't necessarily need all that it has to offer. Listen, a home that decides to go it alone, I don't think will be successful in reaching the generation under its very roof because God designed us to work together the home, and the church. Parents, grandparents, uncles and aunts, demonstrating the faith, living the faith out, and transferring the faith to the generations under their roofs, in their family reunions, that they're connected to, the extended family, working to bring Christ to the coming generations. And then the church, that's God's divine institution, for spreading the gospel. The church is the place that families and individuals come together for corporate worship, corporate edification and, and training and education. We come together, and when you come to church, see, you bring to bear upon your family all the gifts of the church. You've got, you've got pastors and apostles and teachers and evangelists and encouragers and administrators. When you bring your families to the church, you're bringing them under the umbrella of all of the giftedness of God that he put into the people of his church. If you don't, if you just take your family and say, I'm just going to do my family thing. I'm going to have family church and that's all I'm going to have. I really don't need that. You are taking away some of God's most powerful agents in influence the coming generations right under your roof. And so we've got to join forces. The home and the family. Well, I want you to meet this morning uh, four gentlemen who are, are on our church staff. And I'm going to ask them to come, come now, if they would, to come up and stand here. 
Because I want to talk about the church real quickly, and, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to conclude it and turn back to you. Because when I say the church and next generation ministry, uh, I know a lot of you come in here and you go to your life groups and you may come into worship. You may even know these four gentlemen are on our, our staff. I want you to know it for several reasons. Number one is I want you to know it because uh, uh, you make this possible through your giving, through your prayers. You make it possible for us to have a staff of, or, of ordained pastors who are directly impacting various age groups in this discipleship process. It is important that you know them. The second reason I wanted them up is so that you, you can find out what great guys they are. Thirdly, so that you will take advantage of them. They are, they are tools that God has put here, along with their staff team and all their volunteers and their, their wives and future wife. Uh, they, that was a joke, an Asa joke. But anyway, <laughs> we're working on it. We're working on it. And uh, it, it, their families, God has brought them here for you to tag team the coming generation, to work together as we join forces. So Asa Walker is our student pastor and uh, he, I have asked him, because he's really got a great mind for this, to help kind of um, uh, direct us in an overarching strategic initiative and strategic flow to help it so that you, help us know so that if you have that little baby and you bring him into the nursery, you know there is a game plan that this church has that is a tool for you. We come alongside of you. We have a game plan to help this baby be discipled through uh, uh, its childhood years and teenage years and into its college years. And so, Asa, tell us a little bit about that. Well, we've come together and taking seriously this idea of partnering with our parents. Uh, we come to this realization that the next generation, even though they're named next generation, they are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. They're here today, and they need to be reached today. And so that really begins with uh, John's ministry and children. Uh, he's preschool and children, and, and we lay the foundations of faith during that time period. We, we take seriously the challenge to teach the Bible. Even though the minds may be young, we don't believe that they're incapable of understanding the principles of faith. And then as they come up into our ministry, Zach and I work together in co-leading uh, our student ministry, 6th through 12th grade. And middle school, we focus on those disciplines of discipleship that allow them to make that faith their own. So we, we want to make sure that by the time they leave middle school, they know how to study the Bible for themselves. They know how to lead someone else in a discipleship relationship. They know the importance of prayer and uh, the other disciplines that make our faith a reality in our own hearts. And then uh, in high school, we focus on the mission and we make our students the missionaries in their schools and around the city and the importance of reaching others for the gospel. And you can see how uh, as new people are added in the middle of this process, we kind of got to go back and lay foundations again and reteach disciplines. And we ask our students to do that. And then by the time they come to Zach, Zach Allen is our brand new uh, minister to college. And Westside has a long history of discipleship through leadership at that age level. And they have a place, a hub, where they can regroup and refocus. But then uh, the challenge is to get them involved in the various ministries of the church and serving all of the uh, various areas so that they can be trained to be, to, to be the church and be servants of the church. And that's their level of discipleship. 
And uh, John, we'll start with you, you know, kind of in the, you are at that foundational level coordinating this magnificent team of volunteers and staff to, in those, incre those incredibly important years, two to three-year-old, and then into kindergarten, those are such formative years. Tell us uh, a little bit of how we can pray for you and what you're excited about. Well, the passage that Pastor was teaching on in Judges is really what drove me to focus our ministry on Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is to encourage and edify our fathers to engage with their kids. And uh, in that passage, it says, Fathers, train your children in the morning when they wake up, when they go along the way, and when they go to bed. You need to train them in my ways, and you will be my people. Um, and so that's the first thing is getting our dads engaged. And it's not just for their families. The fastest population growing in the United States is single moms. And my heart is that we need to have men and also mentoring children that don't have those father figures. So that's number one. The second part is in our life groups. I want our children to know the stories of Scripture, the testimonies, the precepts. And in doing so, we have the gospel project that goes through the entire Bible um, so that the kids understand the full redemptive plan of God. And then we uh, also have just started, Pastor and I decided to do kids' worship to give people options for kids that may not be ready to an hour of service. So for kindergarten through third grade next year in the fall, we have kids' worship for them to be learning and learning through um, also me preaching. Um, and then lastly, this fall, we are starting Mission Adventures on Wednesday nights with Children's Choir. So we will have our kids' praise time from 5.30 to 6, Children's Choir from 6 to 6.45, and then Mission Adventures from 6.45 to 7.30. And we have seen how um, Wednesday is such an awesome time where youth is going on. There's a meal. And we really want that time to be a strong discipleship time for the kids. At the very center of that is memorizing God's word. And so we just call out to all of you to get engaged with that process and to be a part of that because none of us have perfect families. We're not perfect parents. And we really need to walk together. It is, it's an investment together as we try to minister to our children in our church. And John's such a blessing to us. And, and he's been here, you said, eight years? Almost eight. Almost eight years. And Ace has been here nine years. Now, let me just tell you, uh, most, that's, the, that's the tenure normally of about three or four youth pastors. The, the average tenure is about a year and a half. We are blessed to have had these two men for almost 10 years each. Let's just thank the Lord for them. That is just an awesome... We are blessed. And uh, their heart for the ministry is awesome. And, but they have got to have people who are willing to join the force. We cannot do it without people who will hug those babies on, on Sunday morning and change those dirty diapers. And we'll sit around a little table with seven-year-olds and teach them about Jesus in a life group. What a privilege. Some of you have been to Sunday school your whole life. You've heard it all. Go teach it. Right? Go invest in the coming generation. We've got to join forces with John and his team. And, and Asa and their team. We've got a, a large group of volunteers in both of those ministries, but they are continually looking for people who are committed to the Lord, who will be willing to give them their time and their effort and join the force and join together in helping reach the coming generations. And, 
And uh, if you have any interest, you can reach out to me or to them. There's all sorts of email addresses. You just let us know. And we can, it doesn't commit you, just, just, just reach out. I had several going out after the first service saying, how can I connect? How can I be a part of helping with that? And uh, also we have Zach, uh, Zach Jernigan, uh, this fine young guy. He's 22 years old. He's got, he's got far more mature, uh, his maturity than his age. He's just a, a fine young man. We're going to ordain him in a few weeks. And he's been on staff, what, two years now? Yeah, two, years. two years. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Years. Uh, so I came on first as a, uh, an intern with ASA in the student ministry, and about nine months later I came on full-time, so yeah, two years as uh, a full-time staff member. Uh, but ASA and I work as one team in our student ministry, so I get the privilege of focusing on our middle school students and how we can specifically reach them with some of the things that ASA was talking about. Actually, I teach the uh, 11 o'clock 8th grade group. Some of your students may be over there right now with my wife who's covering that right now as I'm over here. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we get to focus on some of those disciplines like Asa was talking about. Um, we we want to help them own their faith. So we, we kind of teach with the Socratic method to help them think critically about what they believe, what they've been, uh, what has been instilled to them uh, while they're in John's ministry. And to another Zach. We've got several Zachs on, on force now here. This is Zach Allen. And Zach, our new college pastor and young adult pastor, we're, we're just so happy to have you. You're getting started. Tell us a little bit about your heart and your plans and how we can pray for you. So... With college students, you know, there's 60,000 in town. Um, Westside's had a long history of reaching those students, uh, both the ones that come through the ministry and building on that foundation as they pass off from middle school and high school. Um, but the other thing is to, to build that bridge to the campuses. And so we have one that's a mile, mile and a half northeast of us, another one about six miles. And there's a hundred, between 130 and 150 countries represented on those campuses. And so the ends of the earth are here in Gainesville. We don't have to go far from that. We have to even see somebody at 9, uh, 9.30 get baptized, you know, from, from one of those countries. And so taking that discipleship, you know, through a student and when they arrive here and then being able to help train them uh, to go out. And some of them are going to be leaders, um, you know, in, in the Northeast. Maybe they're going to go and be a part of a church plant that the North American Mission Board is trying to start in some of these strategic cities or we have several students that are international right now that they're studying abroad or they're serving abroad. And so even, even the possibility of, of allowing them to go out and to be those Great Commission people away uh, is just something that we want to do with those students that come through. But then reaching the harvest that's there, you know, taking these students who've been trained up and as Asia, uh, Asa deploys them missionally to reach their campuses in high school, to just kind of build on that and say, hey, listen, there's, there's another 60,000 Probably 95% of them could care less about the church, could care less about Jesus, but you know them, and God's placed you there strategically, and then allowing them to build that relationship, training them with evangelism so they can go and share the gospel with them and see their lives changed. We just know what an incredible opportunity there is in college. And uh, I just want to say, church, would you commit to join forces with them? If you can't physically, maybe being a volunteer, but in prayer, praying for these and their, their team, they are facing uh, incredible challenges. Uh, they want to disciple and help us as parents disciple those who are saved, but there's vast amount of lost young people all around us, and their desire and their heart is to reach them for Christ. And so let's just give them a hand and pray for them. Can we do that? Absolutely. You guys can go down. Thank you. Well, that's the church side. That's the church side, and I believe God has just blessed us with an incredible 
group of uh, young men and women who are committed to the Lord. Uh, you may not see them, and I want you to see them and know they're working all the time, <laughs> all hours of the day, but we need the home. We've got to have you, the family, the church family, the home, the family that's right under the, the roof of those kids. We have got to come together. In fact, listen to this final scripture as I kind of draw us to a close. As Joshua is getting ready towards the end of his time there and he's sending the people out into their inheritance before he dies, he, he says this in Joshua 24, 14. This might even be a life verse for some of you. He says in Joshua 24, 14, Now therefore fear the Lord. And he's talking to all the people that have been given a promised land. And I'm talking to a lot of people right here. You've been given the promised land in this way. You've been given the divine blueprint of His Word and you've been given the Holy Spirit as your power. And He says no matter where you live, Gainesville, Atlanta, uh, Nicaragua, Nigeria, wherever you live or come from, I can make that for you a place where I rule in your life and, and my kingdom can be seen in your life and you can experience the fruits of the Spirit. And, and uh, we're not looking for the fruit on the grapevines like they were in this, primary, this promised land, but just picture yourself and your Joshua, the Lord Jesus is looking out and saying, here's your life. Here's your life. I've given you the power. You've got to join forces, however, and march in there and continue to battle and continue to try to captivate the hearts of your people. And listen to what jo Joshua says. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if you don't like this, choose this day whom you're going to serve. You've got to make up your mind. Am I going to just back up and let the world build my house and my home the way it likes it? Am I just going to back up and stay out of the conflict and just let it happen? I'm just going to fall prey to the world system, to Satan's desire to separate me and the generations from the truth of Christ. I'm going to fall prey to that. I'm just going to be comfortable in my own little entertainment alcove. Joshua says, you've got to choose. You've got to make up your mind. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose, whose land you dwell. But maybe we could say this together. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day. We look at the generations that are coming, and we look at them out there, and we say, hey, I wish they would choose Jesus. I wish they'd choose this. They're making all the wrong choices, and I can't control their choices. I realize as my kids grow up, I can't control their choices. I wish I would. <laughs> wish I could. Uh, they make their choice, but, but the Word of God says you can choose your path. 
you can decide, okay, I'm going to continue the battle, sin in my own heart, my own life. I'm not going to let the devil, my flesh, and the world system decide who I'm going to be and how I'm going to behave. I'm going to fight that battle with God's strength and through God's word. I'm going to ask for me. I'm going to serve the Lord. And then I'm going to move over to my house, whatever that household looks like. Maybe it's a single mom. And you heard Asa say this or, or John say this, that the fastest growing demographic, single moms. Maybe you're a single mom. And you're, just, you're saying, all right, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord, but also for my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Maybe you're a brand new couple, just married. You haven't had kids yet, and you think you're going to have kids now. Don't wait till then to start serving the Lord. I'll get it going once I have kids. I'll come back to church. Don't wait. Start serving the Lord now. Ask for me and my house. We're not going to go it alone. As for me and my house, we're going to join forces with God's church. As for me and my house, we're going to worship the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're going to pass the truth along. As for me and my house. Let's pray together. Can we do that? Would you, with your heads bowed, This is just our time of invitation. But if you would, if you would just consider this question just for a minute before we start singing. As the music begins to play, I want you to focus in on your heart. The first part of that phrase, as for me. As for me. What's your life like with God? Jesus is came to free you from spiritual Egypt, to release you from spiritual death. He died on a cross. He lived a sinless life. He resurrected from the dead to enable you to be freed and released to a life where you don't have to be dominated, controlled by sin, death, and struggle. You'll still face it. It's still going to be around you like those Canaanites and Hittites in the promised land. You're going to have all sorts of trials and tribulations and temptations. You're going to face them, but he set you free to fight that. And he's empowered you. So let's start, start right there. Ask for me. How many of you this morning? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I just want you to ask. How many of you could say this morning, you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that you love God with all of your heart? your soul, your mind, and your strength. There's a direct connection between how much you love God personally and what the next generation is going to be like. As for me, how many of you this morning need to turn your heart and trust Christ as Lord and Savior? You need to ask Him right now, forgive me of my sin. Bring me to life spiritually forgive me ask Jesus right now to give you eternal life that begins today promised land life that begins today it's gonna you're gonna have to battle the enemies until he comes again but it's it can be 
taste of heaven when you experience his peace and his joy and his strength through the trials and the tests. Would you receive Christ? You must do that. As for me, that phrase, as for me, you have to make that decision. You have to choose this day. As for me. Some of you need to choose Jesus this morning. Here's what I'd love for you to do. If you just chose Jesus, you just re received him into your heart, you prayed to receive him. When we begin to sing in just a moment, I invite you to come. We're going to have some counselors down here, and as you come to me, you come shake my hand. I'll just direct you to one of these counselors and let them talk with you. They, just, to, just to secure this and help you with that final decision. I just encourage you to come make that decision. And then let's take the other part. Ask for me and my house. Maybe some of you just need to, after this service, get together with your spouse or your family to say, hey, we've, we love God and we're, we're trying our best, but we've let the Canaanites and the Hittites take over in our home. We're all alcoved off and walled off, and we need to find some time to read the Bible together, find some time to pray together. We don't know how very well, but we're just going to start small. We're going to begin. We can't give a fight. We can't just let this overwhelm us. He's given us power and strength. And I want to pray for you families. If you'd like to come and for prayer, I'll pray with you. Or come to the altar, you can do that. I encourage you to go home and talk about it. Start identifying maybe those things you've just become comfortable with that are going to enslave you. Father, I just pray that we as families and we as a church family will be vigilant in our own personal homes, our personal lives, because we know it impacts the coming generations. We've got to reach them by captivating their hearts with the gospel. Help us to do that. Help us, God, to drive out in our own lives that sin which can so easily entangle us and capture us. May we fight the fight. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that doesn't condemn us, but sets us free and enables us. And we thank you for that. But we confess our need. Father, now as we sing, uh, we need you. We need you. We're going to sing that. We mean it. And we thank you that you give us uh, your spirit and your power. We thank you in Christ's name.